Welcome to Lit Reading. I'm Don McDonald. Looking for more information on the podcast? Visit litreading.com. Now please bear with us as we pay the bills. Our story begins shortly. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Lit Reading. I'm Don McDonald. In my ongoing search for the best story to read each week, those of O. Henry keep floating to the top. And just when I think I've found the right one, I read another that intrigues me. I also want to try and find tales that might have escaped popular notice. This O. Henry story is one of many you may have missed, but it's a lighthearted tale about the difficulties and simple pleasures of marriage. And it also seemed perfect for a realistic Valentine's Day tale. Oh, and one more thing. Because of the way this is written, I've been forced to perform the mountain folk accent of the characters rather than merely read the words. Here is The Whirligig of Life by O. Henry. Justice of the Peace, Benaja Widdup sat in the door of his office smoking his elder stem pipe. Halfway to the zenith, the Cumberland Range rose blue-gray in the afternoon haze. A speckled hen swaggered down the main street of the settlement, cackling foolishly. Up the road came a sound of creaking axles, and then a slow cloud of dust, and then a bull cart bearing Ramsey Bilbro and his wife. The cart stopped at the justice's door, and the two climbed down. Ramsey was a narrow six feet of sallow brown skin and yellow hair. The imperturbability of the mountains hung upon him like a suit of armor. The woman was calicoed, angled, snuff-brushed, and weary with unknown desires. Through it all gleamed a faint protest of cheated youth, unconscious of its loss. The justice of the peace slipped his feet into his shoes for the sake of dignity and moved to let them enter. "'We all want a divos,' said the woman in a voice like the wind blowing through the pine boughs. She looked at Ramsey to see if he noted any flaw or ambiguity or evasion or partiality or self-partisanship in her statement of their business. A divos, repeated Ramsey with a solemn nod. We all can't get along together nohow. It's lonesome enough for to live in the mountains when a man and a woman cures for one another, but when she's a spitting like a wildcat and a sullenin' like a hoot owl in the cabin, a man ain't got no call to live with her. When he's a no-count varmint without any special warmth, the traipsin' along a scallywags and moonshiners and a layin' on his back pizzin' with corn whiskey and a pesterin' folks with a pack of hungry triflin' hounds to feed, said the woman. When she keeps a throwin' skillet lids and slings boiling water on the best coon dog in the Cumberlands and sets herself again cookin' a man's victuals and keeps him awake at nights accusin' him of a side of doings, came Ramsey's antiphony. One, he's always a-fighting the revenues and gets a hard name in the mountains for a mean man. Who's going to be able for to sleep a nights? The Justice of the Peace stirred deliberately to his duties. He placed his one chair and a wooden stool for his petitioners. He opened his book of statutes on the table and scanned the index. Presently, he wiped his spectacles and shifted his inkstand. The laws and statutes 
air silent on the subject of divorce as far as the jurisdiction of this court are concerned. But according to equity and the Constitution and the golden rule, it's a bad bargain that can't run both ways. If a justice of the peace can marry a couple, it's plain that he is bound to be able to divorce them. This here office will issue a decree of divorce and abide by the decision of the Supreme Court to hold it good, said he. Ramsey Bilbro drew a small tobacco bag from his trousers pocket. Out of this, he shook upon the table a five-dollar note. Sold a bar skin and two foxes for that. It's all the money we got, he remarked. The regular price of divorce in this court, air five dollars, said the justice. He stuffed the bill into the pocket of his homespun vest with a deceptive air of indifference. With much bodily toil and mental travail, he wrote the decree upon a half of foolscap and then copied it upon the other. Ramsey Bilbro and his wife listened to the reading of the document that was to give them freedom. Know all men by these presents that Ramsey Bilbro and his wife Aurelia Bilbro this day personally appeared before me and promises that here and after they will neither love, honor, nor obey each other, neither for better nor worse, being of sound mind and body, and accept summons for divorce according to the peace and dignity of the state. Herein fail not, so help you God, Benadja Whittup, Justice of the Peace, in and for the County of Piedmont, State of Tennessee. The Justice was about to hand one of the documents to Ramsey. The voice of Aurelia delayed the transfer. Both men looked at her. Their dull masculinity was confronted by something sudden and unexpected in the woman. Judge, don't you give him that air paper yet. Tain't all settled no how. I gotta have my rights first. I gotta have my alimony. Tain't no kind of a way to do for a man to divorce his wife thought her having her a cent for to do with. I'm a laying off to be a going up to my brother Ed's up on Hogback Mountain. I'm bound for to have a pair of shoes and some snuff and things besides. If Rance can afford a divorce, let him pay me alimony. Ramsey Bilbro was stricken to dumb perplexity. There had been no previous hint of alimony. Women were always bringing up startling and unlooked-for issues. Justice Benadja Whittup felt that the point demanded judicial decision. The authorities were also silent on the subject of alimony, but the woman's feet were bare. The trail to Hogback Mountain was steep and flinty. Ariella Bilbro, how much did you allow would be good and sufficient alimony in the case before the coat? He said in official tones. I allowed for the shoes and all to say five dollars? That ain't much for alimony, but I reckon that'll get me up to Brother Ed's, she answered. The amount, air not unreasonable, Ramsey Bilbro. You air ordered by the court to pay the plaintiff the sum of five dollars before the decree of divorce air issued, said the justice. I ain't got no more money. I done paid you all I had, breathed Ramsey heavily. Otherwise, you air in contempt to court, said the justice, looking severely over his spectacles. I reckon if you give me till tomorrow, I might be able to rake it or scrape it up somewheres. I never look for to be a paying no alimony, pleaded the husband. The case air adjourned. Till tomorrow, when you all will present yourselves and obey the order of the court, following of which the decree of divorce will be delivered, said Benadja Whittup. He sat down in the door and began loosening a shoestring. We might as well go to Uncle Zia's and spend the night, decided Ramsey. He climbed into the cart on one side and Aurelia climbed in on the other. 
Obeying the flap of his rope, the little red bull slowly came around on attack, and the cart crawled away in the nimbus arising from its wheels. Justice of the Peace Benaja Widdup smoked his elder stem pipe. Late in the afternoon, he got his weekly paper and read it until the twilight dimmed its lines. Then he lit the tallow candle on his table and read until the moon rose, marking the time for supper. He lived in the double log cabin on the slope near the girdled poplar. Going home to supper, he crossed a little branch darkened by a laurel thicket. The dark figure of a man stepped from the laurels and pointed a rifle at his breast. His hat was pulled down low and something covered most of his face. I want your money. Without any talk, I'm getting nervous and my fingers are wabbling on this here trigger, said the figure. I only got five dollars, said the justice, producing it from his vest pocket. Roll it up and stick it in the end of this here gun barrel, came the order. The bill was crisp and new. Even fingers that were clumsy and trembling found little difficulty in making a spill of it and inserting it, this with less ease, into the muzzle of the rifle. Now I reckon you can be going along, said the robber. The justice lingered not on his way. The next day came the little red bull, drawing the cart to the office door. Justice Benaja Whittup had his shoes on, for he was expecting the visit. In his presence, Ramsey Bilbro handed to his wife a five-dollar bill. The official's eyes sharply viewed it. It seemed to curl up as though it had been rolled and inserted into the end of a gun barrel. But the justice refrained from comment. It is true that other bills might be inclined to curl. He handed each one a decree of divorce. Each stood awkwardly silent, slowly folding the guarantee of freedom. The woman cast a shy glance full of constraint at Ramsey. I reckon you'll be going back up to the cabin, along with the bull cart. There's bread in the tin box setting on the shelf. I put the bacon in the boiling pot to keep the hounds from getting it. Don't forget to wind the clock tonight, she said. You ere a-going to your brother Ed's? asked Ramsey with fine unconcern. I was lowing to get along up there afore night. I ain't saying as they'll pester theyselves in any way to make me welcome, but I hain't nowhere else fur to go. It's a right smart ways, and I reckon I better be going. I'll be a-saying good-bye, Rance. That is, if you care for me to say so. I don't know as anybody's a hound dog fur to not want to say goodbye, lest you air so anxious to get away that you don't want me to say it, said Ramsey in a martyr's voice. Aurelia was silent. She folded the five-dollar bill and her decree carefully and placed them in the bosom of her dress. Benaja Whittup watched the money disappear with mournful eyes behind his spectacles. And then, with his next words, he achieved rank, as his thoughts ran, with either the great crowd of the world's sympathizers or the little crowd of its great financiers. "'Be kind of lonesome in that old cabin tonight, Rance,' he said. Ramsey Bilbro stared out at the Cumberland's clear blue now in the sunlight. He did not look at Aurelia. "'I allow it might be lonesome.' But when folks get mad and wants a devos, can't make folks stay, he said. There's others wanted a devos. Besides, nobody don't want nobody to stay, said Aurelia, speaking to the wooden stool. Nobody never said they didn't. Nobody never said they did. I reckon I'd better start on out of Brother Ed's. Nobody can't wind that old clock. Want me to go back with you in the cart and wind it for your rants? The mountaineer's countenance was proof against emotion, but he reached out a big hand and enclosed Aurelia's thin brown one. 
Her soul peeped out once through her impassive face, hallowing it. Them hounds shan't pester you no more. I reckon I've been mean and low down. You wind that clock, Aurelia, said Ramsey. My heart hits in that cabin, Rance, along with you. I ain't a-going to get mad no more. Let's be starting, Rance, so we can get home by sundown, she whispered. Justice of the Peace, Benaja Whitup interposed as they started for the door, forgetting his presence. In the name of the state of Tennessee, I forbid you all to be a defying its laws and statutes. This court is more than willing and full of joy to see the clouds of discord and misunderstanding rolling away from two loving hearts, but it air the duty of the court to preserve the morals and integrity of the state. The court reminds you that you air no longer man and wife, but air divorced by regular decree, and as such, air not entitled to the benefits and pertinences of the matrimonial estate, he said. Aurelia caught Ramsey's arm. Did those words mean that she must lose him now that they just learned the lesson of life? But the court air prepared for to remove the disability set up by the decree of divorce. The court air on hand to perform the solemn ceremony of marriage, thus fixing things up and enabling the parties in the case to resume the honorable and elevating state of matrimony which they desires. The fee for performing said ceremony will be in this case, to wit, $5, went on the justice. Aurelia caught the glimpse of promise in his words. Swiftly, her hand went to her bosom. Freely as an alighted dove, the bill fluttered to the justice's table. Her sallow cheeks colored as she stood hand in hand with Ramsey and listened to the reuniting words. Ramsey helped her into the cart and climbed in beside her. The little red bull turned once more, and they set out, hands clasped, for the mountains. Justice of the Peace, Benaja Whittup, sat in his door and took off his shoes. Once again, he fingered the bill tucked down in his vest pocket. Once again, he smoked his elder stem pipe. Once again, the speckled hen swaggered down the main street of the settlement, cackling foolishly. The short life of William Sidney Porter, better known by his pen name O. Henry, was in fact a whirligig. He worked in his uncle's drugstore as a ranch hand in Texas, at a land office, and then as a bank teller in Austin, where he found the easy access to cash a bit too tempting, leading to his indictment for embezzlement and subsequent flight from justice to Honduras. His wife's fatal illness brought him back to Texas, where he was convicted and served three years in a federal penitentiary. Soon after his release, O. Henry moved to New York, where most of his stories, including this one, were penned. Thank you so much for listening to Lit Reading. I hope you enjoyed it. And please tell a friend or two. Go to one of your favorite podcast services, particularly iTunes or Apple Podcasts, and subscribe to the podcast. And leave a review. Already, several of you have left glowing reviews, and I really appreciate it, like this one, from someone who calls himself Josan the Cleric, or Josen the Cleric. Quote, absolutely love this podcast. I listen to a lot of short stories, and Don has a fantastic reading voice, as well as a good eye for choosing his stories. Unquote. It's reviews like that that make this worthwhile. Thanks again. I'm Don McDonald.